You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, hello, church. Good to see everyone. Good to see Avery. Good to see you. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them it's good to have you at church. Can you do that? Tell them you look good. You look good. <laughs> you look good. Lord Jesus, have your way here. Uh, none of this matters unless your presence is here. And I already sense your presence, and I thank you for your presence. And uh, we need you, God. We need a word from you. Nothing else matters, God. Nothing else uh, would you touch every, every heart, touch every mind, direct the thoughts right now, Lord, and certainly start with me. May your Holy Spirit work in me and through me, and may you be glorified, Jesus. By your grace, may I be a mouthpiece for your kingdom. I know every person has been drawn here, Lord, whether they came here willingly or unwillingly. <laughs> you, you are involved in this, in this meeting. So... Uh, have your way. Would you give God permission to move in your hearts? Would you just tell God, God, speak to me? Would you make that your prayer? Tell God, open up my ears and open up my eyes and open up my heart. Change me. Transform me. Renew my mind. Encourage me, God. I just need to be reminded, God, that you exist, that your eyes are on me, and that I'm in the center of your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, Amen. Amen. It's good to be everyone at church. So, so we're in this series called Worry, and who doesn't worry, right? Anybody worry? Anybody sit with a warrior? You know, it's just something we always have to battle. It doesn't matter. I wish I could say you grow out of it, but, you know, you do, as you get older, you worry a little bit less. But um, um, a big part of worry is our thought life, and today's message is called Runaway Thoughts. Have you ever had a runaway thought that just kind of goes like, like Emily talked about, it keeps you up at night, that kind of thing? Um, <clears throat> I'm going to get real intimate with you guys here and real. When I was at, a, I was at home one night during the summer months and, and I was in bed and, and, and I, was, I was lying down in my bed and, and it was probably like one in the morning or something like that and, and I just felt something like land on my cheek. And it had like six legs, and it was doing this number all over. Yeah, are you feeling me? You know what I mean? <laughs> I felt that, and I, I was like, ah! <laughs> and it was an African-Brazilian bird spider that was about that big. And it was like, you know, <laughs> remember that movie, Arachnophobia? It's a really old movie. with John. That's what I felt like. like. Like in the basement of my house, there's the mother of all spiders. It's gonna... So after that, though, it's just like if I felt a little bit of wind on my leg or anything, I was like doing this number all the time. Or I'm sleeping. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, it drove me nuts. And I'm like, Jesus, save me from this spider. I don't know if there's even in my head. It, it's kind of like when one time I was mountain biking and, um, and I ran over a snake on my mountain bike. You ever do that? You run over or you're on a run and you come across like in the path of a snake. And uh, after that, like every stick looks like a snake. You know, it's just like you're, you're constantly, especially if it's, you know, dusk and, you know, sun's going down and, and you're, just, you're just there. But your thoughts just run with you. The Jeff Metzger, pastor, said this, the, the battle of your life is the battle between truth and lies. The battle of your life. Think about that a little bit. Do you know what's a lie? 
How do you know what's a lie? Do you know what's truth? How do you know what's truth? I want to share with you how to, how to defeat and, and work through runaway thoughts, but I want to I want to share a story with you, with you first. I, there's been so many people taking pictures of these slides because they're all so good. But um, <clears throat> the story I want to share with you is Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, um, you know, I, one thing I love about the Bible is it's, it's full of like these very ordinary people. Sometimes we think people like the Apostle Paul, like he's a, you know, he's a saint or Jacob is a saint or Moses is a saint, like they never mess up and they don't know what fear is feeling. And it's just so opposite they're very, very human. In fact, Jacob and Esau, they're brothers, and dad's name is Isaac, and uh, he's one of our patriarchs. So Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, and then uh, Abraham has a son named Isaac, and then Isaac has a son named you know, Jacob, and those three guys are the patriarchs. So Jacob and Esau are brothers. Esau's older, and their relationship uh, wasn't always good. So do you ever have a relationship with a family member that it's just not so good? Like maybe growing up, you would race to the car to see who touched the car first or whatever it was, and you just are always competing. That's Jacob and Esau. These guys were always like it. And the straw that broke the camel's back was the day that, that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. And he did it because he was hungry over a bowl of soup, so to speak. He was hungry, and Jacob said, I'll give it to you. If you sell me your birthright, firstborn, that was a big deal in Jewish tradition, Jewish culture, and the blessing was on Jacob now. Well, that didn't go so well. So if you fast forward in their life, it's been 20 years. In fact, Jacob left the family because mom said, you better get out of here because your brother's going to kill you, like literally. So leave. So Jacob goes one way and Esau goes another way, and they don't see each other for 20 years. They don't see each other for 20 years. And now both of them have changed. And both of them are a little bit different. Then, you know, when, when I run across family, you ever, you ever do this? You run across old family or something like that and, or old friends and, and, and they, they use a phrase. And after you talk to them for a little bit, they say this phrase. And the phrase is, boy, you've changed. You know what I'm Have you ever hear that? Boy, you've changed. Or wow, you're different. You know, that kind of phrase. And when I hear it, it always feels negative. Like there's a little bit like, gosh, I used to be better and now I'm worse. I'm not sure what that means. Um, I just have to work through that a little bit. But Jacob and Esau are different. You know, we are different as we, as we get older and we go through experiences, life experiences, that kind of thing. So Jacob, God puts it in Jacob's heart to reconcile with his brother. It's been 20 years. And this is a kind of relationship where you know, like you have a family member that maybe has, you know, wronged you or you wronged them, whatever it was, and you guys don't talk anymore. You don't talk anymore. You don't have their picture up in your, on the refrigerator. You're not, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't, not friends with them, whatever it is. You just don't talk anymore. And the thing that you dread is the day that you cross paths with them. And you're thinking, gosh, I might see them at that funeral. I, don't, I sure hope they're not. Oh, Thanksgiving, are we inviting, you know, Slick Willie? I don't know if I, I, don't know if I can hang out with it. Or Aunt Edna, or is Aunt Edna going to be there? I'm not sure I want to be with her. And there's this, this, this thing there. There's this thing. You know, some people have the ability to carry a grudge all the way to their deathbed. You know anyone like that? They are bitter people, and they have, they have a memory that you, you wronged them, let's say, 20 years ago but they remember it as if it happened yesterday. 
And they know the details, everything you said and this and you said and you said. And you're thinking, I do not remember, but you remember. Some people have that ability. God doesn't want you to carry bitterness and resentment in your heart or anger. And you have a reconciling God. You need to hear that. You have a God who will never give up on you. No matter what you do, you have a God whose grace is so much greater than your sin. You have a God whose love is greater than your love, whose forgiveness is greater than your forgiveness. Some of you, you can't forgive yourself, but God could forgive you, and you just need to embrace it. You have a God who wants you to know him. You have a God who wants you to know his son, Jesus Christ, just radically and just totally transforming way he wants you to know Jesus Christ. And God will chase you down. God wants you to know this. God's a reconciling God. The ultimate, the ultimate place of reconciliation was this, was this cross. And it was at the cross this wrathful, holy God was reconciled with sinful people. It was at the cross. That's what the cross is. It's a place of reconciliation. So now Jacob and Esau are at odds. And Jacob, God puts it in Jacob's heart after 20 years to go back and meet with Esau. And Jacob has all kinds of runaway thoughts. So I'm going to share some scripture with you. And as I do, I want you to look at the runaway thoughts. Chapter 32 of Genesis, verse 1 says this, as Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanim. Verse 3, then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, so he's sending a message. Now, so this is not, this is the days before texting, the days before Snapchat, the days before, you know, any kind of social media. So he doesn't know anything about brother. He doesn't know what his life, you can't, you know, like in Facebook, you go to someone's page and you peer into their life and, and then you move out and you go and peer into this life and all. There was none of that, none of that stuff. So he doesn't know. So he's sending these messengers and he's sending this letter. He's sending this letter to them and, he, and he's telling them, give this message to my master Esau. And interesting, he uses the word master. You hear that? He's not saying, give this message to my scumbag brother. Or, you know, he's saying, give this message to my master. He's, he's, you see Joseph, or Joseph, Jacob, you see he's been changed so much. He doesn't have to one-up. He doesn't have to put you in the place. You know, people like that who are, they put you in your place. They want you to know that they're here and you're here. They, they share their resume with you and they want you to know this is their successes and this is what, you know, they're always trying to, Jacob, he's been so changed by God. He's secure in who he is. And he says, call my brother master. This, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your, from your what church? From your servant. You guys are always so much more talking back than the other services. I think I love you more than the other two services. I, I give, give this humble greetings from your servant, Jacob. You see, again, you see Jacob, his attitude is like, you know what? It, 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 he's master and I'm his servant and I'm going to approach you like that. Until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban, who, who's a more, he was a trickster. And now I own my own cattle, donkey, flocks of sheep and goats and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my, who? My He's not talking about Lord of, Lord of Lords. He's talking to about his brother. He's calling him Lord. He called him Master. He said, I'm a servant to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be, what? It's me. So Jacob is like, okay, I'm going to get back with my brother. We had some hard times way back when. It's time to bury the hatchet. I feel like I need to do this. <clears throat> 
You know, what's interesting in this chapter, I didn't share this in the last two services, but in this chapter is the famous, famous wrestling match. If you're a wrestler, you'd love this because it's the chapter that Jacob wrestles with God. And, and, and Jacob says, who are you? What's your name? Who are you? What's your name? Who are you? And in this chapter is the chapter where God changes Jacob's name to Israel. It's this chapter. And the reason why the Lord is, the Lord is putting that in my mind because, because Jacob chooses to reconcile with his brother. It's all part of God's plan. <clears throat> And it was because of Jacob's choice that God changed his name. It was because Jacob was obedient to the Lord and said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to swallow crow. I'm just going to humble myself. And I want to get right. Acts of obedience like that get God's attention. And he says, okay, you're going to act obedient here. Here's what I'm going to do. Because you're acting in obedience right here, I'm going to give you a new name now. I can tell you're ready for it now. I can tell you're ready for it. And when you act in obedience and you surrender and humble yourself before the Lord, it tells God you're ready for the next level. Jacob says, this is really hard. Jacob's initiating this whole thing. This whole thing. <clears throat> Verse 6 says this, after delivering the message to the messengers, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you. So he's coming and he's coming with an army of how many men? With 400 men. Now, put yourself in Jacob's shoes. There's no social media. There's no texting. All he hears is what these messengers say. He's excited to meet you, and he's bringing 400 of his strongest guys with him. Is this good news or bad news? Yeah, it's bad news. Jacob's like, oh, my word, did I make a mistake? I'm being obedient to God, and now this is happening. Verse 7 tells us, Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household. Look, he's, he's getting into action. He's a strategic guy. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups, and he thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. So here's his runaway thoughts. There's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be collateral damage. This is going to get messy. I'm going to lose, you know, by possessions, people are going to die. And here I am, I'm going back and I'm doing this and his, his thoughts are just racing. It's going to get worse. wonder if he could sleep during these days. And he says his prayer in verse 11. He says, oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he's coming to attack me along with the wives and children. Fear always fuels runaway thoughts. Fear always fuels runaway thoughts. I fear being alone. I fear failure. I fear nobody likes me. I fear losing. I fear the future. I fear not having enough. Fear always fuels runaway thoughts. And he's afraid. <clears throat> he does something. What he does is, he, 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 Jacob, who's this trickster himself, he, he organizes everything and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send gifts ahead of me. 
I'm going to soften Esau's heart. I'm going to send gifts. And if brother says, Why, what are these for? You tell him, these are for you from your brother Jacob. And that's what he does. He sends these gifts. We do the same thing. You know, for some of us, it's really hard to say uh, the F word. Forgive me, right? It's really hard to say that, that word. Wonder, let me ask you this way. When was the last time you asked for forgiveness? When was the last time you went to someone and said, would you forgive me? Yeah. Sorry. It's a lot easier to say, isn't it? The reason why forgiving is so hard is because you're, putting, you're making yourself vulnerable and you need them to say something to bring healing to your word. Will you forgive me? It's much more powerful. Parents, <clears throat> teach your kids how to forgive because they're going to be hurt in life. Teach your kids how to forgive. So when you mess up, go to them and say, hey, forgive me. So what he does is he sends gifts, and we do the same thing. What we do, some of us, maybe more than some, what we do is when we wrong someone or there's, what we don't say forgive me, which is what, what Scripture teaches us. God wants us to say forgive me to a friend. What we do is we send these little smoke signals, and we're all of a sudden kind. We might bring them coffee or we do something nice for them. And it's kind of like, I'm just letting you know you can come within five feet of me. I just want you to know it's okay for you to come closer now. I'm, okay. I'm letting you know the, the fire of anger is going out now. So now, you can, now we can talk. You know, something that, that just breaks God's heart is when a husband and wife ignore each other in their own house. Breaks God's heart. Or when two friends... Don't talk to each other. You know why? Because there's something that happens inside of your heart when you hold grudges. It changes your heart. It changes the way you view people. You don't trust people. You, anger is birthed, and all kinds of nasty stuff happens. So he sends these gifts, and chapter 33 says this, Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. So a little history about Jacob. He has two wives, Okay. Now, he was really tricked into one. The father-in-law is Laban. And Jacob fell in love with this, this girl named Rachel. Rachel, apparently in the eyes of Jacob, she was the more beautiful one. She was hot. The other one was not. <laughs> hot, not. It was, she was hot and Leah was not. So he wanted, he wanted Rachel. That's who he wanted, big times. So just like any guy... When a guy is attracted to another woman, you know, he just kind of loses his mind and everything, nothing else matters except the girl or the woman. And that's what happened to Jacob. So he starts working for her, working for her. And then eventually Laban said, you know, okay, you worked off enough time. And the wedding day happens and, you know, the veil comes up and it's Leah, the older sister. And he's like, this is like an ultimate switch and bait thing. I mean, this is not cool. I just worked for Rachel and you're giving me Leah. And then Laban says, well, you know what? Leah's the older one, and what would it look to her? What would it look like to her? What would society and culture say? In our tradition, the older one needs to be married first, even though she's uglier. I mean, he didn't say that. But he said, even though she needs to be married first. So Jacob is like, you know what? How much more do I need to work for Rachel? It's just interesting. His love for Rachel was so strong. It's just like Pastor Nick's love for his wife, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> he loves her. He loves Rachel. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, so, so that's what he does. He says, all right, I'll keep working and I'll wait for, I'll, I'll work for Rachel. So, so he eventually marries Rachel, but in his heart of hearts, he has a favorite one. 
I'm wondering, I'm just guessing he had more sex with Rachel than Leah. The scripture doesn't say that, but I'm guessing he did. That's just my guess. In fact, when they had kids, that was the favorite. Remember, it was Benjamin and Joseph. Benjamin and Joseph came from Rachel, and he favored those kids. He did. So even when he comes back to brother Esau, you know what he does? Check this out. Check this out. This is crazy. Verse 2, he put the servant wives and their children at the front. So they're about to, they're going to meet Esau first, the servant wives and the children, Leah and her children next. You see that? Remember, he's thinking there's going to be collateral damage. He's strategically positioning them. And Rachel and Joseph were what? Jacob the deceiver. <laughs> That's what he does. That's harsh. I can imagine Leah like, I'm next after the servants. <laughs> Are you serious? You know what I mean? I, I can just imagine Leah, poor Leah. I don't think she was that ugly. <clears throat> ugly. Ugly. That's, I'll keep going. Verse 3, then Jacob went on ahead, and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. And verse 4, check it out. Here it comes. They're about to meet. This is that awkward moment, like that person, that family member, that friend that you haven't seen in a while. They backstabbed you, or you backstabbed them. You said something, they said something, and now you see them at the party, or you see them at this family event, and you're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to like are we going to shake hands? Are we going to knuckle each other? Or are we going to wave at each other? Are we going to give each other eye contact? If they look at me, am I going to turn the other way? Am I going to you know, raise my eyebrows? And how, am I, how what is this interaction going to look like? Because we can tell a lot from each other's faces, right? Whether you're welcome or whether you're not welcome. And he's like, he's really, there's no doubt there's anxiety and runaway thoughts. And verse four says this, then Esau ran to meet him and what? And... Now, just think about this. I could imagine Esau sees his brother Jacob. They've only had messengers. And he's seen gifts. He's seen servants. He's seen Leah and her children. And now he gets to Rachel and Joseph. And what does he do? He runs up to him and just throws his arm around him. And you know, you see Jacob, he's like, okay, what's happening here? Threw his arms around his neck and what? And, and they both, What? I, I would get, this had to be a terrifying time for Jacob because Jacob's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are, should I fight? Am I, is this a fight? What is happening here? Oh, he's hugging me. He's, he's letting me off on the hug. Oh, he's kissing me now. Whew. He loves me. Oh. oh. Terrifying time. <clears throat> how do you have to run away thoughts? I'm going to share with you how to do this, guys. You may want to take some notes. Because we all have to work through this. Runaway thoughts. Rick Warren said it like this. You need to feed your mind. You need to free your mind. And you need to focus your mind. Three Fs. Feed your mind. You need to free your mind. And you need to focus your mind. Let's talk about feeding your mind. Every action in your life starts with a thought. Every action in your life starts with a thought. Think about it. Who are you going to go out with? How are you going to spend your time? You're going to be at church instead of watching the Broncos. Lord Jesus, bless them for that. 
every action, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to that friend, I'm, I'm going to turn my back here, I'm going to drive over the speed limit, whatever it is, every action in your life starts with a thought. Let's say that out loud, guys. Every action in your life. Jesus said this, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Defiles me, makes you unclean, spiritually unclean. What comes out of you makes you unclean. Not the action, but what comes out of you. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, any envy, slander, and arrogance, and folly. It's from within. It's from within. That's where, that's where it is. And it comes in, in your thoughts. You start thinking about stuff. You know, there's things that you think about that you know you shouldn't think about, things that compete for, for the righteousness of God, things that compete for the will of God. Hear this. Your mind is the battleground for sin. It's your mind. It's your thoughts. You can be at church and you can be checked out in your thought life and thinking about other stuff, thinking about unclean thoughts, can't you? You can be hanging out with friends. You can be driving down the road and you're hearing a song or there's no song and your mind checks out and it goes to a place that may not be a good place. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody feel what I'm putting down here? <laughs> so your thought life, that's the battlegrounds. That's the battleground, your thought life. In fact, the reason why most people feel defeated in life is they don't know, they don't know how to fight the battle within their mind. That's why most people feel defeated in life. The best time to defeat the battle of your mind is before it happens. The worst battle is this, when you're in a battle and you don't even know it. That's the worst battle. So if you understand the battle is within your mind, there's no such thing as I'm thinking about this and I know it's not right, but it's not going to affect me. I can listen to this song with these lyrics and I know it's not right, but it's not going to affect me. I can look at this video and I know it's not right, but it's not going to affect me. I can let my mind go and check out and think about thoughts that I know aren't God honoring, but it's not going to affect me. You're wrong. You're wrong. It's a lie from the devil himself. The battle's within your mind. What you think, what you think. Second Corinthians chapter four says this, Satan, that's the devil himself, Lucifer, who is the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. The devil has the ability to blind your mind. That means you can be at church and not hear one single word. That means you can hear good news and not receive it. Somebody could say an encouraging word or a loving word or speak truth into your life. And because the devil has blinded your mind, you cannot believe it. And he goes on to say, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand that this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. Can't receive it. The devil has the ability to do that. And you keep reading. Paul goes on, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine powers to demolish. What? Demolish. One more time. Demolish. <laughs> on the contrary, these are the weapons we have, have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We're going to talk about that word. We demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. Read that with me out loud. We take captive to make it obedient to who? So this is a spiritually mature person right here. Have the ability to get a hold of strongholds and take captive every thought. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a lie that I believe. That's what a stronghold is. It could be related to money, sex, personal attitude, relationship, friend, family, pride, whatever. It's a, it's a stronghold is a lie that I believe. That means there are certain things that you believe that it doesn't matter if someone preached to you 10 hours a day, you're not going to change your mind. It doesn't matter if there's data and research that shows you and says, look, here, here's the data. Here's, it doesn't matter what anyone says. You believe it in your head, in your mind, and it's just there. Let me tell you, the only one that can change your mind is God. The only one that can change, truly change a mind is the Holy Spirit. And a stronghold can get a hold of your life and keep you from experiencing God's joy, God's peace, God's purpose, and God's love. A stronghold is that strong. Do you know any strongholds in your life? Do you know what they are? Jesus said in John chapter 8 that the devil himself, he's a liar and the father of lies. So the, the, the author of the stronghold is the devil. A stronghold is a belief in a lie. And the author of that stronghold is the devil. Hear this. Don't let your mind be a garbage can for the enemy. <clears throat> Here's what the devil does. And you might just, you know, believe it. I'm not worth anything. Nobody understands me. Nobody cares about me. They hate me, all of them. Talk behind my back. Church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. All they want is my money anyway. Everybody knows my sin. God doesn't care about me. God's not even there. God doesn't hear my prayers. I'll always make mistakes in my life. I'll always be alone. Nobody will want me. I'm not worth anything. And then you walk around with this thing everywhere you go. How are you doing? Good. Fine. How are you doing? I'm doing good. <clears throat> and you carry this thing, and it affects the way you see people. Maybe you don't trust people. It affects the way you see God, maybe. You don't see God. You don't go to church. It affects the way you love or don't love. It affects the way you show grace, and you might even have a hard heart now. You can't, you can't take a vacation from this thing. You go to bed with a trash can. <laughs> you wake up with a trash can. You go on vacation with a trash can. It's just with you all the time, and inside are all these strongholds, these lies, and the enemy wants to fill up your trash can. The enemy wants to fill up your trash can. If you can be bitter, if he can have a hold on you, a stronghold on you, where you don't give yourself completely to God, then he wins. 
He wants to separate you from people who love you, from the church. He doesn't want you to seek after God. And you carry around this thing, and it, changes, it, just, it just, and after a while, you know what? This thing's not, you know, I just, got, I just get used to this. I just carry it with me. I just carry it with me. We had um, a new friend's lunch um, last week, and uh, we had about seven new people. And um, while they were there, which is really cool, because I asked them, hey, do you remember the days when we were at Prairie Hills Elementary School? And all of them looked at me and said, no, we weren't there. And I was like, wow, you don't know where we came from. We came from Egypt, and now we're in <laughs> But anyway, but you know what, what, they, what they did in there? Sometimes this stuff in here, it'll come out if you listen. And you know what someone did? They said this. Hey, um, you know what I love about this church? This is what they said about Thorn Creek. Because you don't judge me. You know what they were showing me? Yeah, you can put your hands together. That's what they said. You don't judge me. You know what they were doing? They were bringing something out of their trash can and they were showing me, I've been judged before and I still feel the pain and hurt. That's what they were doing. Someone else did this. Hey, um, a church in the past really hurt my daughter. You know what they were saying? Please don't hurt me. You ever, you ever see these lies come out? You're talking to someone and they're like, and they're like, you know, <clears throat> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna welcome you. This thing, you know, I got, I'm living with something here. This thing, you know, I have stuff in my trash. Paul said this, freeing your mind. He said, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? You know what Paul is saying? You can choose what you dwell on. You can choose what you think on. You can choose. You can choose. So you want to grow? You discover, you spend time with the God and say, you know what? This right here, this ain't helping me. This right here, I don't need this. What is it? This is not true. That's not from God. What is, that's a lie. And you start going through that and you let God lead you. And God wants to do this in your life. He just wants to free you from everything. He wants to free you from everything. He's a loving God. He, wants to, he doesn't want you to live life with a hard heart and bitter and resentful and all those things. He goes on to say, Paul says this, set your mind on things above. In other words, it matters what you listen to, what you think about, what you watch. Set your mind on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Glory to God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And check it out. Empty out your trash can. Verse 5. Here it is. Put to death. Throw it in the trash. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Hear this. You can't live the new life Christ has for you if you keep thinking about those old thoughts. You cannot live the life Christ has for you 
if you keep thinking about those old thoughts. Don't, don't do this. You just, you know, collect these things and you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this and this and I'm going to live life like this and I got tra- I'm just going to live life like this and I'm going to go to church. Oh, oh, such defeat. Exhausting. Don't do that. There's discouragement right here. God wants to set you free completely. Set you free. I don't even want to keep it in there. God wants to set you free completely. He doesn't want you to live like that. Focus your mind on the thoughts that please God. Paul says this, do not conform in the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will. You want to know God's purpose in your life? Be transformed. Let God transform your thought life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's more interested in changing your mind than your circumstances. He's more interested in changing your mind than your circumstances. God told Joshua this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it. Say meditate with me. Meditate on it day and night. How often? Day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written and then you will be prosperous and successful. And God's saying, here, you want to know the secret sauce of happiness? It's not about how much money you make. You want, to, you want to know what it feels like to be content and, and true joy and true peace? You want to know what that looks like? Here it is. Meditate. You know what that word meditate means? It means to mull it over, mull it over again and again and again. Mull it over day and night. You know what you're learning here is this. What you meditate on will eventually become your desire. What you meditate on. If you meditate on lust, guess what's going to be your desire? If you meditate on another woman, if you meditate on another man, guess what's going to become your desire? If you meditate on this video, guess what's going to become your desire? If you meditate on hatred, guess what's going to become your desire? Whatever you meditate on will become your desire. And, and God is telling us you need to meditate on God's word. You want to be a strong man, meditate on God's word. You want to be a great woman, meditate on God's word. That's how you get stronger. That's how you get stronger. You have a God who wants you to know him completely. You have a God who wants you to turn to him with all of your heart. You have a God who loves you and he cares about you. You have a God who wants you to just embrace his grace and embrace his love. And Jesus wants you to invite all of him into your heart. Jesus wants you to give yourself completely to him and to trust him. And he wants to be Lord of your thought lives as well. Some of you today, you need to empty out your trash can. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, empty out your trash can. You need to empty out your trash can today. Some of you, you take out the trash from your house more than the trash from your thoughts. Every week you take your trash to the curb, but God wants you to take out the trash of your thoughts every day. And he wants you to be able to determine what's a lie and what's truth and to be able to say, I'm not going to let that have any part in my life right now. And he wants this to be your identity. He wants this to be your heart. He wants this to be your love. He wants you to know his grace and his mercy in his life. Will you let him? Will you let him? Will you let God have his way? Oh, my heart is just going, guys. Lord Jesus. Oh, mercy, Lord. Oh, 
If you need to ask Jesus into your life, would you say this? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. This morning, I choose to become a Christian. Take over my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. All right, some of you need to empty out your trash can. Here it is. Say, God, empty out my trash can. Just say it out loud if you may. Just say, God, empty out my trash can. God, empty out my trash can. Set me free. Your word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Set me free. Give me clean thoughts. Help me to focus my mind on you, Jesus. May I feed my mind with your word and give me the ability to recognize a stronghold, a lie. Holy Spirit, help me. And right now, I just make a pledge to follow you, Jesus, and to be a better manager of my thought life, to be more disciplined of the things that I, I look at and the things that I listen to and the things that I watch and what thoughts I let come into my head, God. Give me that wisdom and that ability to discern those thoughts. I choose, Jesus, you. I choose you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.